0: Family, I uh, thank you for praying for us and remembering us during this time. It seems, it, I don't know why, it seems so long ago, just 12 days ago. A lot has happened, I guess, in, the, in those 12 days. But um, my, my sister trusted in the Lord, and I rejoice in that. But there's a lot of people left behind that are hurting, and so that's going to be a hard road. But um, you know, I am trusting in the Lord, and my family is trusting in the Lord, and uh, my mom. She has, my mom is, will be 98 in November, and she has um, seen two husbands pass away. Uh, Never has she experienced a child, and that I'm sure is gut-wrenching and something no parent ever wants to experience. But she, too, is trusting the Lord, and she is a testimony uh, to the family at this time. So I just wanted to say, I wanted to start off by saying thank you so much uh, for, for what you have done for us and what you have said i wanted to give you an update pastor jeff and valerie have returned safely from being out of the country but they and they are watching online i did receive a text and what a encouragement they are um, as they um, sent me a text this morning said we're praying and they're praying for you and uh, certainly praying that um, that i would be able to deliver the word uh, to you this morning nick were you the shuttle were you the shuttle man so you picked them up late at the airport so my question is, how is it that you are here? But no, no, I'm just kidding. I think you see where I'm going with that. Um, no. But um, it's good to, good to see you back, and we are glad that the echoes are back safely. Well, if you would turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 2. This is going to be our passage for this morning. And I will just in transparency share with you that I am, I am a bit n- nervous because, you know, if this, if this is the is announcements, right? This is the announcement zone right here. This is my comfort zone. This is where I am this morning. <laughs> so I, I am way out of my comfort zone. But here's the good news. I'm trusting the Lord and uh, what he has been teaching me. Uh, it's funny, uh, many of you might have been here the day that Pastor Jeff and I did that little skit where he came up with a big knife and a fork, and it was to kind of promote the appreciation dinner. Well, before before that, we got together uh, for lunch just to talk about the lines for that skit, and uh, I was looking forward to that. And... Um, we got together for lunch, and let me tell you, by the time that lunch was over, we had no lines for that skit, but I was preaching this morning, and I said to Pastor Jeff, I said, you and Valerie really have the spiritual gift of coercion, and I I don't know if that's a spiritual gift, but I feel like it is, and, uh, but so, uh, I have prayed about that, and um, so do feel like the Lord has put something on my heart to share with you this morning, Um, but I will acknowledge I have nothing to say, nothing to teach you, nothing to bring you except for what the Lord would do. So before we even read his word this morning, let's pray. Father, I am so grateful uh, as I have expressed to this this body and this family for them. Thank you so much. Thank you for your word, uh, Lord, how it teaches us and how your Holy Spirit convicts us and moves us and Lord, just for the wisdom that it brings, and I pray this morning that you would help me to clearly articulate and convey the things that you have put in my heart, um, that my words would really be your words, and that you would prepare the hearts of these people here and those online as they listen, Lord God, and uh, hopefully there's a challenge or a conviction or a calling or something for each person in here. I pray for us to be attentive to your word. And again, we trust your um, Holy Spirit, Lord God, to move us. Thank you, in Christ's name, amen. Well, before we read the passage this morning, I would like to just give you an introduction to the Gospel of Mark. Um, You know, um, a lot of people, when they are meeting with someone and They are interested in the Lord. They will say, what's a good part of the Bible for them to begin in? And so often we hear, uh, have them read the Gospel of John, and I think that's a good place to start. I also like the Gospel of Mark. Uh, Mark um, is a very fast-paced gospel, and it is very um, focused on Jesus, the servant, and the Messiah. Now, who is this Mark that God used to write this gospel well we learn a lot about Mark through the scriptures we we find lots of scriptures that reference him so here's a few things about him one we see that he was also called John Mark and historians believe that Mark was really a scribe for Peter that Peter relayed stories to to him and Peter wrote these accounts down of the Lord and Peter and uh, First Peter refers to Mark as his son, his spiritual son. So we don't know if it was Peter that introduced Mark to the Lord, but we can get that feeling from that spiritual son name. We see that Mark is the cousin of Barnabas. We know that Mark had a, a mother named Mary, and it was her house. If you remember, right after James was martyred, They put Peter in prison, and remember the story about the four squads of soldiers watching Peter, and the angels busted Peter out of jail, and he thought it was a vision, but when he came to, and he came to his census, he realized that the Lord had answered the prayers of the church. Well, that church was meeting in a home owned by a lady named Mary, and that was John Mark's mother. So we learned that about him. One of the things that's not on the really a highlight reel is that we know that when Paul and Barnabas took their first missionary journey, they took John Mark along with them, but for some reason he didn't stick it out, and this kind of, this kind of I think was a problem for Paul so much so that later on when Barnabas said, "Hey, let's go back and visit the brethren where, where we went," Paul did not want to take them, and the scriptures tell us that so, such a sharp disagreement arose between these two men Barnabas and Paul that they went their own ways but then later on we see uh, in the scriptures that as Paul was getting on in age and facing execution that he called for Mark so this is a little bit about the man that God used to write this gospel so what about the book well it's the shortest of all the gospels it doesn't cover all the Jewish history and genealogy, and so it's a very fast-paced book. Um, When I read it, I sat down uh, last month, and I kind of, I didn't read all the 16 chapters in one sitting, but I read read about 12 in one sitting, and then finished the rest. But it, it reminds me of when your little kids go somewhere really exciting and they're relaying the story to you. You know, you've ever had that like, and we went to Hershey Park and, and we had cotton candy and we rode the roller coaster and we threw up and you're like, whoa, whoa, <laughs> slow down. And that's what you, when you read Mark, you get that feeling. It's just story after story. It doesn't have all the detail of the other Gospels, but let me tell you, it has wonderful information about our Savior. So before we read chapter two, I just want to I want, to, I want to show you what you can learn, if, especially if you're, if you're mentoring someone or you're studying the word with somebody. Let me just share some of the truths that you can glean from Mark chapter one. Mark starts off right off the bat talking about this good news of Jesus. And in the first verse, he calls him the son of God. So he doesn't waste any time. Jesus is the son of God. He tells us that the Old Testament Isaiah specifically predicted the coming of this Jesus, the Son of God, and that there would be a forerunner to him, and it would be this John the Baptist. And he tells us that, you know, John the Baptist, he baptized in water, but this Jesus will baptize in the Spirit. We learn something really neat about the Godhead. When Jesus is baptized and Mark is recounting this story, we see the Spirit descending on Jesus like a dove, And then we hear the voice of the father saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And that's me hitting my microphone. I'm sorry about that. This is the first clear expression of the concept of the the Trinity. And you haven't even gotten through chapter one yet. We learn about his temptation and his overcoming temptation and how angels minister to Jesus. We see already in chapter one, he's appointing disciples, two sets of brothers Peter and Andrew, James and John, fishermen. We see that people are astonished by his teaching. All their life they've been hearing the religious leaders. But when he teaches, there's something different about his teaching. It's with authority. This is something so cool that we learn about Jesus. He's casting out unclean spirits. And they identify him as the Holy One. They know him by name. And he has the power to silence them we see that Peter must have been married because Jesus heals his mother-in-law. And after he heals, guess what happens? People are flocking to him. So we see that in his ministry, he was surrounded by people and it became somewhat problematic for him. And then the chapter closes out showing us that Jesus was compassionate. A leper is on his knees kneeling and tells Jesus that if he is willing, he can heal him. And Jesus touches him and he says, I am willing, and he heals him. So you can see how rich Mark is with the truth of who Jesus Christ is. And it's a wonderful, wonderful gospel for you to read and to read with somebody else. The, The title of this message is Bringing Others to Jesus. So let's read Mark 2 1 through 12 together. And when he had come back to Capernaum several days afterward, it was heard that he was at home and many were gathered together so that there was no longer room even near the door and he was speaking the word to them and they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And being unable to get to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had dug an opening, they let down the pallet on which the paralytic was lying. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, My son, your sins are forgiven. But there were some of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man speak that way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, aware in his spirit that they were reasoning that way within themselves, said to them, why are you reasoning about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, arise and take up your pallet and walk? But in order that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise and take up your pallet and go home. And he rose and immediately took up the pallet and he went out in the sight of all so that they were all amazed and were glorifying God saying, we have never seen anything like this. Now to me, you know, the Bible is amazing because of the way it speaks to us. You can read something one week and six months later, come to it again, and God will show you some new truth. And so, I was thinking it's much like a beautiful gem or a beautiful diamond. When they cut the facets in it, you can think of how it sends beautiful light out in every direction. And no matter how you hold it, it is beautiful. And His Word is beautiful like that. And so, as you read the story, there are lots of different messages in here. We could spend a long time talking about Jesus' ability to forgive sins. We could talk about the callousness of the religious leaders. We could spend some time talking about the omniscience of Jesus, that not once in this passage are those thoughts of the religious leaders vocalized. These are thoughts in their heart about him blaspheming. But he calls them out immediately because he knows the thoughts, just like he knows your thoughts and and my thoughts right now. He knows that. He's all-knowing. It was his omniscience, I believe, that he was able to look, at, look up through this hole in the roof and see their faith. He could see their faith. They never noticed they never said a word to him in this account. But this morning, there's something that I would like to, when I read this um, last month, what stood out to me, and I'm going to read this, what I wrote, because I, I sometimes can get going and I forget or fail to say what i'm trying to say so i do that with announcements a lot of times i sit down and I'm like man i forgot like a really important announcement so because this is so important to where i'm going with bringing others to jesus i want to read this because i felt like it was the best way to to clearly articulate it to you this story in this passage i think it documents a real life encounter that people real people ordinary people like you and me had with jesus And I want to look at what transpired in this short encounter because I think there is a template. There's a model for you and I because I see a progression of faith and then action that you and I can learn from and apply. And I'm telling you, for me and maybe for you, it will reveal weaknesses in your walk with Jesus, but we can commit those weaknesses to the Lord. And like these four men in this story we can more effectively bring others to Jesus. Now, before you're, I know what maybe, I don't know what you're thinking, um, but I realized that in this story, the act of bringing this man was an act for healing. Uh, their ministry would, for, for this man was a physical act and it was for his healing. So I don't know the motive and what they thought about Jesus, if they understood that he was the Messiah, but they were coming for a healing. secondly i don't know the nature of this man's infirmity a lot of people say well because jesus forgives him right off the bat his his paralysis or whatever condition he had that made him immobile must have been because of sin but we we don't know that and we certainly have enough scripture that tells us that um, some infirmity and some problems in your life are just brought on about by for god's glory we see job who went through these agonizing events for one reason, and that's because Satan had declared uh, his life as a battlefield, and God allowed it. We see a Paul talking about the thorn in his flesh, and what was the outcome of that? It was that God's grace is sufficient for him. We see a blind man in John uh, chapter 9 that's sitting there, and the disciples say to Jesus, they say, why is that man blind? Is that because of his parents' sin or his sin? And Jesus said it wasn't because of neither. It was because the, so that the works of my father might be manifested in him. He was blind since birth. He's, he had been blind all his life so that the works of the father could be manifested in that moment and be documented in the word for you and me and for all to see. So I don't know the nature of this man's paralysis. I just know that he was afflicted. And I know he couldn't walk. And I know he couldn't get to Jesus on his own. That's what I know from reading this. And I know one thing that God uses ordinary people like you and me to bring others to Jesus. I want to back that up with scripture. um, And I'll just, I'll give you two things. One, as Jesus was wrapping up his earthly ministry, we're all familiar, I think, with the Great Commission. But Jesus said to his disciples, he said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And the charge to his disciples was go and make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And you see this heart to propagate his message and to continually make disciples. So many people, I think, get caught in the habit or just thinking that you 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 hear and you believe, and that's it. We are called. We have a purpose. In the letter to the Corinthians, the Apostle Paul discusses this ministry of reconciliation, and he uses a term ambassadors. This is what it says. It says, and a lot of you are very familiar with this first verse, and if you've ever heard me share my testimony, you know this first verse was very important to me. It was important in uh, Susie and I's marriage. Therefore, if any man is... Is in Christ. He's a new creature. Old things have passed away. And behold new things have come. The next part of that says. And listen to this. All this is from God. Who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. Not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us. The message of reconciliation. We are therefore christ ambassadors as though god were making his appeal through us man that should make us sit up in our in our seats that the living god considers if you have put your trust in, f- in faith in jesus and he is your savior you are looked at as ambassadors and ministers of reconciliation it tells me we still have work to do um, reconcile means to call back into union or friendship Imagine two parties are at odds. We can imagine that, right? We're we're, we're usually one of those parties. Imagine somebody that calls both of those parties back into union or friendship. The difference here is that there's been no offense on the part of God. All the offense is on the part of the sinner. But as ministers of reconciliation, we are given this charge to go out into a world of people that are afflicted and paralyzed by sin and act as that agent on God's behalf. Now, don't get me wrong. I realize that God does not need us, okay? I realize that. Um, I am so convinced of that. Um, We see examples of that, right? When Saul was on his way, still breathing threats and murder to to the church, he was encountered by Jesus on the road to Damascus. That was a direct encounter. God didn't. He used other people to minister to Saul than Paul. Um, he has spoken through a donkey, right? In the Old Testament, we read that with Balaam. He spoke through a donkey. Do any of you remember the story in Daniel where King Belshazzar sees just the hand writing on the wall? I love that verse. I remember reading that in uh, high school with uh, an older guy who was mentoring some kids, and one of the translations said King Belshazzar's hip joints went slack. And I have never forgot that. And I think if all of a sudden I saw, that's where our saying the writing on the wall comes from. But God communicated to King Belshazzar what was going to happen through a hand writing on the wall which Daniel interpreted the meaning. But God, do not for a minute think that he needs us. But for some reason, he desires and takes privilege or pleasure in including us on the privilege of being a minister of reconciliation what's an ambassador i remember the church i grew up in uh, there was a christian school associated with that and i don't remember anybody having their names on their jerseys like today they had ambassadors that was their school mascot so they were the ambassadors norfolk christian ambassadors and an ambassador is somebody that represents the official position of a sovereign body Man, that's a weighty thing that we go out into the world and we represent the the position of God. Man, I tell you, I feel way, way inadequate to do that. But again, it keeps coming down to the fact that God uses people like you and me to bring others to Jesus. Well, so as we use this model of these four four guys lowering this paralytic through this roof, and I do want to say... I started thinking, are people going to think that I got the idea for this message because we have a hole in our church roof? And I want to tell you I did not. Um, it It is totally coincidence. Um, but hopefully that steeple is going to be fixed soon. But that had no way in shaping this message. It was strictly from my reading in Mark. But it is kind of a neat coincidence. Um, I don't see anybody getting on our roof, if you not- notice the pitch of that roof. Here's what I see in these four guys that models our spiritual journey. First of all, they heard about Jesus. Man, how could they have not heard about Jesus? When he started healing people in chapter 1, the scriptures say that immediately the news about him went out everywhere into all the surrounding district of Galilee, and chapter 1 ends this way. Jesus could no longer publicly enter a city but he stayed out in unpopulated areas and they were coming to him from everywhere. Can you imagine what life for him and his followers looked like? I mean, it was so bad that we learn in Mark again chapter 1, he couldn't even have a quiet time. Word was spreading like him about him like wildfire. And we see that as was his custom, he would get away and go into the wilderness or to some desolate place while it was still dark and he would meet with his father first of all there's a lesson for us there too but in mark 1 it says that peter and we know a little bit about peter's personality from the scriptures and i can see peter doing this it says that peter and some of those that were with him they went out to look for him and guess what they found him and they said to him hey everyone's looking for you now that would really annoy me during my quiet time if i had gone into my secret prayer closet and shut the door and cut off the lights, and I was down on my hands and knees praying, and somebody opens the door, cuts the light, and says, hey, everybody's looking for you. That is a quiet time killer. And this is the the experience that Jesus had, people flocking to him, some to hear his teaching, some to be healed. Even in his early part of the ministry, when Jesus would cast out demons, he would tell them not to speak about him. And they knew who he was. On many occasions, he instructed the person healed not to tell anybody. He wasn't ready. That, that's not where the ministry was for him at that point. One of the demons said to him, I know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. Can you imagine being there when a person that was demon-possessed is flapping around on the floor and doing foaming at the mouth, whatever that looks like, How horrific that must be. And then Jesus walks in. And you hear voices. And they say I know who you are. Holy one of God. And he not only does he tell them to be quiet. And get out. But they obey. People had never seen teaching. And they had never heard and seen things like this before. So they heard about Jesus. Well they also believed in Jesus. Well again I don't know if they knew he was the Messiah, but they believed that he had the power to heal, and I think that they believed that he would heal their friend. Um, How do I know that they believed him? Because Jesus commends their faith. The word there in the other gospels that tell this story, it's always there, their faith, seeing their faith. Matthew and Luke and Mark all say their faith, plural. And if Jesus said they were faithful, then I have to believe that they were. So what is, what is faith, right? The writer of Hebrews defines for us faith. It says it's the assurance of things hoped for. It's the conviction of things not seen. This is what faith is. And then that famous chapter in Hebrews 11, I love this. It goes on to document champions of faith. You know, by faith, men of old gained approval. And w- this is what I see. I see these men gaining approval because of their faith. How different was that than the religious leaders that sat around Jesus? He sees their faith, and then it goes on to talk about men like Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham. It tells us Abel, by faith, he offered a better sacrifice than Cain and Enoch. He pleased the Lord. And Noah, he went out and built an ark for the salvation of his family. And Abraham went out not knowing where he was going. You see, Faith pleases the Lord. And as the homeowner, when I see dirt and debris coming down, and as I see a hole opening in my roof, I'm not too excited. But Jesus was excited, seeing their faith. Seeing their faith. Dane Dane Ortlund says about that encounter, just a short... He says, when a group of men bring their paralyzed friend to Jesus... He cannot even wait for them to ask him what they want. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. Before they could open their mouths to ask for help, Jesus couldn't stop himself. Words of reassurance and calm tumbled out. They believed in him. But you know what? Hearing... Hearing isn't enough, we must believe, we must have faith, and we must remember. Uh, Jesus said, truly I say to you, whoever hears my word, hears, and believes, him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death into life. So they heard and they believed, but here's the thing, and, I, and this is another area of transparency. This is kind of one of the, I guess, the, the thrust behind this passage pricking my heart is because I struggle with this next part. Maybe you struggle with it too. I struggle with being moved with compassion. These men were moved with compassion. You know, empathy, we hear a lot about empathy. Empathy and compassion are closely related, I believe. I think empathy is that uh, capacity to feel what other people feel, to put yourself in their shoes, right? We, we hear that a lot. You know, I just have a lot of empathy for that person, what they're going through. We're told, you know, to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. I shared with you about my sister. I feel that. I feel that, that people mourn with you. People, they, especially, you know what? Sometimes we go through a hard thing so that we can better identify with a person later on. I've had that happen to me so many times. I've been through something, and then later on the Lord uses it. So I can look at somebody in the eye, I can honestly say, I kind of know what you're going through. I really do, because this, you know, I can really relate. And I think that's empathy. But here's the thing, I think compassion is a little different. I think the difference is that compassion goes one step further, and it is... The desire to, to help. And we see that um, with Jesus here several times, that he is moved. He's moved with compassion for the leper. As chapter one closed out, you know, leprosy, uh, I understand according to all the religious laws, the only thing worse than being a leper was coming near a dead body. And you were ceremonially unclean, and you could not even live in the encampment. You had, to lit, you had to wear sackcloth and ashes. You had to put your hand over your mouth, and you had to announce, unclean, unclean. Nobody would come near you. You had to stay at least six feet away from everybody. You were isolated. You were alone. It's actually kind of a, a picture of the debilitating work of sin in our life and how it isolates and how it, it tears us up. And here's a leper, and I, I believe it was highly contagious. It was definitely unclean. I think it's important to that jesus touched him jesus was moved by compassion and he touched the leper and he said i am willing and he healed him hearing and believing were not enough for these men and i sometimes ask myself i've heard i've believed am i moved with compassion for people that are lost, again, I realize this was a physical bringing. I realize that, but I see something here that's gnawing at me. Am I moved with compassion? So now I'm willing to take my my hearing and my believing, and I'm ready to take this person that's afflicted and can't go to Jesus on their own. Am I willing to take the next step and carry them?
1: You know, these men had
0: no answers, right? They had no answers. They had no treatment. They had no cure and no remedy. All they knew was that they could take him to Jesus. So they heard, they believed, they were moved with compassion. And last, they were committed to his healing. I love, and I'm sure you do too, a good story of perseverance. I love when perseverance and persistence and commitment pay off. And this is a story like that. How committed were these guys to the healing of their friend? I would have loved to have been there when they got there. And, I, and, you know, carrying somebody that is immobile and paralyzed, I imagine he's not light, but, you know, you got these people carrying him. And they get there, and the place is swamped. Can't even get to the door, it tells us. And I understand, you know, this is from archaeology and history, and they say, you know, probably in a typical home, they could house about 50 people. And Luke gives us more detail on the story. He says that the religious leaders from all over the villages, from Judea and Galilee and even Jerusalem, they were there. This place was packed. sounds like most of it was religious leaders. And they were all there, and people had come. And I understand the houses of that day were probably flat-roofed and had steps going up the side. And, and these guys are like, you know, they didn't say, they didn't say you know, hey, it's, it's pretty packed. We'll, we'll have to come back another day. I wonder who it was that said, you know what? Why don't we go up the steps nobody's on the steps nobody's on the roof and they're like yeah with good reason nobody's on the roof why don't we take up the tiles luke tells us there were tiles some people say maybe this was a person that was well to do because they had tiles on their roof let's take up the tiles and then there's going to be some kind of dirt or mud and we'll dig through that and we'll move any branches or makeshift timbers we'll make a hole in the roof i would have loved to been there when that idea was pitched but apparently they went they were all in that's commitment They didn't go like, oh, man. And you know what? When you bring people to Jesus, I can guarantee you, you will run into obstacles. You will run into obstacles. These men would not quit. They anticipated transformation. They expected healing, and they anticipated transformation. You know, I honestly believe this. this, This is something that I'm just saying that I believe. I believe when they opened up the hole in the roof, and I don't know if any of these men had witnessed healings by Jesus or heard him speak, but I really believe that when they lowered him down, they believed that would be the last time they they carried him. And I believe they believed that he would exit from the door. He would come through the roof, but he would exit through the door. And I want to say something that's obvious. It's not so obvious in these passages too, but notice when you read Mark, And we talk about forgiveness. Like if you struggle, like you think, man, God can't forgive me. So complete is his forgiveness and so complete is his healing. The one thing that I notice is when he heals people, they're healed. When Simon Peter's mother-in-law was healed, it says she got up immediately. By the way, that's Mark's favorite word. Immediately is used over 50 times in 16 chapters. He loves the word immediately. She immediately got up and started waiting on people. This, le- this paralytic was healed and he walked out the same day. You, he, Jesus didn't say, you know, it's going to take a while. I'm going to send you down to the Capernaum Physical Therapy Treatment Center and you're going to need to go so, through some PT. You're going to have to work out that atrophy that's been developing in your legs and you haven't used your whole cardiovascular system. It's gonna, he walked out. He picked up his bed and he walked out and jaws were dropping and people parted and the, and the house that was so crowded was now parting and he walked out. I imagine with a huge smile on his face. The only one that wasn't smiling was the guy that had a hole in his roof. <laughs> but so complete is his healing. So complete is his forgiveness that it leaves no questions to be asked. So I just remind you, if you think for a minute that you cannot be forgiven, you don't know who you're dealing with. So so what? Let's wrap this up. Here's the... The thing I see for us, you and I, I think most of us, we've heard about Jesus. Man, we live in an information age. You can, you can stream Pastor Jeff, or you can come in here, or you can go out to the website and you can watch his sermons day after day if you want. You can download e-books. You can, you can order something on Amazon and have it. If it's Prime, you can have it the next day probably. We do not lack for information. And if you get tired of Pastor Jeff, you can watch Alistair Begg. I'm hoping his audio kind of cut out when I said that in there. <laughs> but we live in an information age. We, we hear. We've heard. But you know what? Hearing isn't enough. It is possible to hear without really listening, right? It's, it's possible to hear without being changed. And Jesus compares these two men. Uh, men, I've referenced them before. The man who built on sand and the man who built on rock. He said, and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And what was the result of that? The rain fell. The storms came. Man. And the winds beat upon that house and it fell and great was its fall. So you can hear. But it's not enough to hear. Many of us in this room, I would, it's safe to say and many of us listening, we have believed in Jesus. Jesus. As a response to the Holy Spirit and God working in us, we have put our trust in this redeeming work of Jesus. And that's awesome. That is awesome. John said, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So we've heard, we've believed, and again, I I keep coming back to what I struggle with. What about compassion? And we live in a world today that is so, it is, is all I see is earthly consternation. I don't see a lot of compassion. Christians are guilty of that, I think, as any. Do you have a heart for the lost? And again, I'm not preaching. I'm not preaching at you or to you. When I say these things, there's a big mirror right here in front of me. I'm talking to myself. Do you struggle to love the unlovely? When you see that someone's not like you or that they don't agree with you, or maybe they just they don't dress like you, they don't look like you, they don't, they're not acceptable in your sight, do you flee from their presence? Or do you plead for their transformation? I can tell you I struggle with pleading for their transformation. I do. It's what God's working on me about. And I used to think when I hesitated on preaching because I was thinking, well, you, you should really talk about something you know a lot about. I would never be before you if I talked about something I knew a lot about. But there is a comfort zone in me talking to you about something I'm uncomfortable with and something that I'm not good at. And I think God is encouraging me as I get older to, to try to develop this heart for the lost and the unlovely. And how do you do that? Because, you know, when you ask that question, really what you're asking, you're not saying, what are the steps? What are the, what are the ten steps that I need to do to be compassionate? Well, there's none. I don't think there's any of that. Um, there's no shortcuts. There's no magic pills. There's no surgery. You can't go in and have a surgery and make you compassionate. You can't just hang around somebody that's compassionate and you, you turn compassionate. So here's what I've concluded is, you know what? First of all, we have to spend time with Christ. I know that sounds cliche, but you cannot grow to be like someone that you don't know. It's that simple. You can't grow and be like someone that you don't know. You have to have intimate time with the Lord in prayer, in his word, and to be with his people. Let me ask you this. What caused the man that was paralyzed and on his bed to be healed and forgiven? Do You know, his friends could have read all that they had to read at that time from whatever they had in the Old Testament. They could have meditated all day long on those words. They could have walked around pious acting like they were holy but you know what that man would have never been healed what healed him and what forgave him was being in the presence of jesus and so i would say to you that being compassionate is not going to happen unless we are with and spend intimate time with our father in the word and in prayer we were talking right after the funeral this is how my mom is good at pointing me to jesus we were talking about some of the struggles the family, the immediate family, and the siblings will hold in this journey of losing their dad and their wife and some of the spiritual b- battles and you know, just where they are spiritually. And my mom says, and she doesn't mean this either, she said, we keep underestimating the power of prayer. We keep underestimating it. They're not going to change. They're not going to change unless there's prayer and there's God at work. So we become compassionate by intimate time with the Lord and in his word. Again, let me read Dane uh, Ortlund here. Traveling from town to town, he saw the crowds. He had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless. So he teaches them. He heals their diseases. Simply seeing the helpless of the throngs, pity ignites in him. This compassion comes in waves over and over again in Christ's ministry, driving him to heal the sick. Feed the hungry. Have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat in Matthew 15. He taught them. He wiped away the tears of the bereaved. The Greek word for compassion is the same in all these texts. Every time compassion is referenced about Jesus, it's the same meaning. It literally deals with the bowels and the guts of a person. It's an ancient way of referring to what rises up from one's innermost core. This compassion reflects the deeper heart of Christ. Twice in the Gospels, we are told that Jesus broke down and wept. And in neither case is it sorrow for himself or his own pains. In both cases, it is sorrow over another. In one case, Jerusalem, and in the other, his deceased friend, Lazarus. What was his deepest anguish? The anguish of others. What drew his heart out to the point of tears? The tears of others. Time and again, it is the morally disgusting. It is the socially reviled. It is the inexcusable and the undeserving who do not simply receive Christ's mercy, but to whom Christ most naturally gravitates. He is by his enemy's own testimony the friend of sinners. And that really spoke to me. You know, do my guts, does the innermost part of my being... Have a heart for these people and their, their eternity? And then finally, how committed are you to the spiritual healing of people around you? Once the compassion, once we're developing that compassion, we have to move out and go. Um, and, that, and, and I don't mean go, like you have to go to another continent. Go to your neighbor, go to your co-worker, go to your family members. And do we have what it takes to stick it out and to go the distance? So finally, some realities about bringing, the others, the, bringing others to Christ. Here's a sad reality. Not everyone will put their trust in Jesus. Not everyone will accept the message. When Jesus died, he was flanked on either side by one criminal who mocked and rejected him and one who had turned to him in the last moments of his life. And the religious leaders of the day walked and talked with Jesus. They witnessed his miracles. They saw his words or heard his words and many didn't accept him. So what does that mean for us? Certainly you, your words will be rejected by some. But how awesome for the people that don't reject him. So not everyone will put their trust in Jesus. And here again, second point of that is that the introduction is our part. The introduction is our part. The transformation is his part. Again, I go back to what I said earlier. I know he doesn't need us, but he takes joy in providing us the opportunity to be a part of that process. Our part is simply the introduction. Those men, they came, they lowered, they had nothing to do with his forgiveness, nothing to do with his healing. It was Jesus that transformed. When you bring somebody to Christ, you have no power to transform them other than pleading for them to Jesus. Jesus does the transforming. It's not up to you. And I say, thank God for that. Thank God for that. And then finally, notice what happens when this man gets up and picks up his bed. God receives the glory. I think it's noteworthy that nobody in this story is named. The paralytic isn't named. The four men and the people that came with him, they're not named. It's not important, really. Um, We don't even know how many people there were. I think there was other people that came. But it's not important. What's important is what happened when he encountered Christ. And so they're not named. God receives the glory. So let me, I'm going to read these two because my closing thoughts, I didn't want to jumble them all up. So I wrote them down for you. First of all, let me read this verse to you from Romans chapter 10. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard of him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? It's convicting, but um, I hope you've been challenged by something you've heard today. And as you reflect on your faith journey with Jesus, that we can all agree that some of these steps hearing, believing, moving out with compassion, staying committed. We sometimes get some of those goofed up. I I, I do. Um, But I'm praying that you won't be cast down, but that you would be renewed and committed in your walk with Jesus, and that you would remember that you are fulfilling his desire to be ambassadors, to be ministers of reconciliation, to go out to, to people that have They're kind of like that paralyzed man. How are they going to come to Jesus if they've never heard about him? He didn't save us just to save us, but that we could be put to work and be his ambassadors. Uh, Let's pray. Gracious Father, I know I'm convicted when I think about certain aspects of walking with you. And I pray, Lord, that you would speak and change, Lord God, change me. That, Lord, I would make it my desire to be intimate with you in prayer time and in your word and in fellowship so that you would use me, Lord God, as your ambassador. That I would go out and I would have a heart of compassion and of commitment for those around me that have never heard of you, and more and more in this country. Oh, Lord, there's so many people that don't know your name, never heard anything about you, no idea. Pray that we would be like these faithful friends who heard, believed, They were moved with compassion because their friend was afflicted. He had no way, no way to get to Jesus. and They were committed to his healing. May we be that way, Lord God. May we remain unnamed. Our name isn't important. Your name is the only one that's important. Go before us, Lord God, in Jesus' name.